people said, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jeremy and team. A while back, I read a story in a, a British magazine and uh, published a story about a man who had the most unusual profession. And it's not the profession itself that's the unusual, but the method that he employed to accomplish his job is the most unusual one. Let me read it so I don't mess it up. Andy was a human stench bomb, but he loved it because this is how he earned his living. Andy, a bill collector for a London magazine. The magazine management sends him to the delinquent account clients who advertise with the magazine, but they did not pay their bills, pay their debt. Andy came dressed in a 22-year-old raincoat that was covered with the most horrible smelling substance. Andy plunked himself down at the reception room or the office of the debtor and refused to budge without the payment. He and his raincoat generated such a vile smell that is compared favorably to a skunk or rotten eggs. In fact, he smelled so bad that the secretaries and the clients in the business gasped for air and they flee out of the room. In just about all cases, Andy leaves with the payment in his hand. <laughs> I would say <laughs> you would pay him just to get rid of him. Debt collection has become a, a national industry. Why? Because debt is a national problem. Many people refuse to live within their means. Many people get themselves into such debt that it's impossible to come from under it. Of course, that doesn't mean that we don't borrow money to, for a house or for a car or for business. That's not what it's all about here. As long as the debt is manageable, but in Romans 13, 8, when the Apostle Paul said, let no debt remain outstanding, is not meaning that we should never borrow or come into debt, but he's talking about incurring a debt that can never be repaid. Are you with me? Say amen. This kind of debt does not honor God. In fact, it creates such a stench that makes our friend Andy <laughs> smell like roses in comparison. And so, I want to remind you of the context of Romans 12 and 13. We took a break on Mother's Day, but we're back to Romans again. And I know that most of you already turned to Romans 13 in your Bibles. In Romans 12, we saw the Apostle Paul saying that a genuine Bible-believing Christian is a person who exhibits the love of Christ that has been poured into his and her heart. And we saw, I kind of bunched them together into eight different expressions of genuine love. Let me remind you, 
I know most of you will remember them. You'll probably give them back to me. Love hates evil. Love gives honor. Love is passionate about God. Love hopes and perseveres in prayer. Love loves to give. Love feels deeply with others. Love refuses to get even, and love reverses the cultural norms. Did you get that? All right. Now, he immediately moves from this to Romans 13 and is really continuing that same theme, whether you know it or not, whether you noticed it or not. He's continuing with that same theme, the genuine love theme. And he says, genuine love on part of the believer is going to make him or her willingly obey the law of the land and pay their taxes. And secondly, love for God makes us pay our debts. Why? Because genuine love fulfills the law and redeems the time. Now, you ready? Look at verses 1 to 7. Paul, he was living under the most horrendous, horrendous dictatorship of his day. Uh, It was the most vile dictatorship. And he would be the first person to say, you know, uh, don't, don't, don't listen to these dictators. No, 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 no. He is saying that part of the believer's witness is to obey the law of the land and pay taxes. Now, I must admit to you, I'm not going to give Uncle Sam a red cent more than he deserves, or, he, or I owe him. But that's a, that's, that's a different story. <laughs> Jesus, in Matthew 22:21, 21, he said, Give to Caesars what belongs to Caesar. That's the taxes. And give to God what belongs to God. So here we see that love, genuine love for God, obeys the law of the land. In fact, the only time it was permissible for the first century believers, the first church, The only time it was permissible for them to disobey the law of the land and to disobey the government is when Caesar demanded worship. At that point, they said, no, God above Caesar. Say it with me, God above Caesar. And they were willing to pay the consequences. Verses 1 to 7, Romans 13 tells us that we are basically foreigners in this land. I know you're patriotic Americans, so am I. I love this country more than you can imagine. But nonetheless, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a foreigner. You are not a citizen of the United States as much as you are the citizen of where? God bless you. I love this congregation. You see, we are representing our home country here on earth. Um, I know, listen, I know we joke about politicians, and, and I'll tell you what, I was so tempted. I have some really funny jokes about politicians, but I fought the temptation. I am not going to do that. <laughs> I really am not going to do that. But here's my understanding of this passage in the context of Western democracy in which we live, okay? Here's my understanding. Now, remember, this message is going all over the world to England and uh, Europe and uh, Australia and Canada, but 
I'm going to focus here because that's where we are. Had Paul lived in Western democracy, he would have said the following. Listen to me, beloved. Do you understand what privileged people you are? Do you understand that God gave you a unique opportunity to put people in power? Do you comprehend what an exquisite responsibility to have uh, to be able to choose your government? Therefore, don't squander it. Therefore, don't take it for granted. And therefore, don't abuse it by not getting involved. Can I get a witness? Now, I personally believe that for the believer, listen, I keep saying personally because I don't want to say, where is that in the Bible? It's not in the Bible. I personally believe it is a sin not to vote. Hello. Ooh, some people are coming under conviction. <laughs> in fact, because we're going to be away next Tuesday with this election time because we, I'm preaching in London next week. We voted already early. It is a sin not to vote. It is a sin not to participate in one of the greatest privileges that God gave us as citizens in this democracy. Study the candidates. Find out where they stand. Uh, Ask them questions, and then vote intelligently. Can I get an amen? amen? Listen to me. Having grown up under horrible dictatorship. Where election, you have one candidate in office. Now, thank God I left before I was eligible to vote. (laughs) But I know how it works. It's a referendum. It's a referendum, and you vote either for this dictator, you can say yes or no. And if you voted no, these people are watching you, and they're going to follow you, and they're going to harass you, and they'll make your life miserable. So, consequently, the results have always been 99.9%. I wonder where the 1%, one point, you know, what's that, 0.1%? I don't know who they are, but 99.9%. That's always the results. That's what happens in dictatorship. I can tell you, and please trust me, believe me, when I tell you that the worst parts of our democratic process in this country is a blessing in comparison to the rest of the world. Do you understand that? Look, whether you agree with me or not, do you understand it? But you take it for granted, and that what breaks my heart. Most Americans take it for granted. That's the saddest part for me. Now, having said that, listen to me, I must hasten to say that we must vote for godly people who espouse godly policies, and yet our hope must never be placed on politicians. Our confidence must never be placed on those who are in power. Our total trust must never be in a man, any man. Our, but, but our complete confidence, trust, and hope must be placed on our King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. If you take your eyes off Jesus 
and place them on the government, I can tell you, you will be discouraged and you'll be disappointed. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I'm tempted. <laughs> when is the last time you prayed for the leaders of our country? Oh, listen, I've read the other day that just before election time, every single prayer meeting around the nation is packed. Two weeks later, not so much. Everybody gone back to business as usual. Please listen to me. Don't ever forget that the founding fathers of this great country, the United States, have received direct answer to their prayer when they humbled themselves and they prayed. God heard them and God answered them in their deliberation. I'll give you one example only. In the Constitutional Convention of 1787, which was called to revise the existing Articles of Confederation, these men met for weeks, not for the hours, not for days, for weeks. Uh, these delegates have searched and debated and examined all of sorts of models of governments around the world and which one, how we can modify it, which would work out best for us. But after every debate, they ended up with frustration and they ended up with disappointment. That's until Benjamin Franklin got up and he began to speak regarding the lack of progress. And here's what he said, I'm quoting word for word. In this situation of this assembly, groping as it were in the dark to find political truth and scarce able to distinguish it when presented to us. How is it, how has it happened, sir, that we have not hitherto once thought to humbly applying to the Father of lights to illuminate our understanding? And then they prayed, and God answered and he gave them what they formed what is called the, a perfect union. Now, don't tell me that God did not answer them when he gave them the Constitution of the United States of America, that he did not answer their prayer, and he enlightened them, and he gave them the most enlightened document that any nation ever hoped to have. Why do you think so many people who hate this country want to shred the Constitution? Why do you think godless forces now coming out in the media and in politics and they make fun and they mock godly leaders for their outstanding godliness and moral leadership? Why? Look at the anger at the moral uprightness of our Vice President Mike Pence. Look at the anger at his moral principles that he applies. And then they have the temerity to condemn the harassers. Instead of praising the man, they condemned him. Now, beloved, listen to me. Listen to me. This is, <laughs> this is, this is too important. So I've been writing the books I'm writing. <laughs> this is not a time to say, well, we have good people in government. Just let's go back to sleep. That is not the time. No. Listen to me. The, 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 the heat of this battle uh, must drive us first our knees, and then give us the boldness to stand with good and godly leaders. Can I get an amen? amen. Genuine love always obeys the law of the land. Genuine love must only be indebted. Oh, indebtedness. 
He said, indebtedness is not good, but here's an indebtedness that's really good. <laughs> indebtedness to God and to others. I'm going to make a statement. I know it's going to startle some of you, not all of you, some of you who don't know me very well. Listen carefully. A genuine Bible-believing Christian lives in a state of perpetual spiritual indebtedness. A genuine Bible-believing Christian lives in perpetual spiritual indebtedness. I'm going to explain that. What is that indebtedness? It's an indebtedness to God. It's an indebtedness to God. And it prompts us to love Him with all of our hearts and keep on loving Him. And then as His love keeps pouring into us, we love our neighbors as ourselves. But if you try to pay this debt yourself, listen to me, I've tried it and failed miserably. If you say, I am going to love God with all my, I am going to do this and I'm going to do this, you will only make few payments and then you become bankrupt. Do you understand? <laughs> now, in the financial world, there are some who work long and hard just to make debt payment. Some pay the only minimum payment on their credit cards and uh, to the point where it becomes impossible to pay their debt. But when it comes to our debt to God, when it comes to our debt to the Lord Jesus Christ and our debt to loving others, only God can give you the resources by which you can pay that debt to God. Isn't that amazing? They pour, he pours His resources into us. He loves through us so that we can love others. And here it is. The more you love God and others, the more God pours it into you. And the more He pours it into you, the more you pay it. The more He pours it into you, the more, the more you pay it. In fact, here's a biblical principle that thousands of you know it, I know, around the world even. The more you pay this debt, the more you exercise love toward God, the more you ask God to love through you, the more you love your neighbors, the more you love your friends, the more you love your, even your enemies, the more love that God is going to pour into you. It's like a silo. The more you take wheat or grain from that silo, the more God pours it from the top. Did you get that picture? Some of you did. The moment you think that you can pay that debt yourself, that you can love God with your own strength, without His help, without His pouring His love into you on a regular basis, on a daily basis, trust me, the picture is not very pretty. Because at that moment, love will become less authentic. It will be fake. We see it all over the place. See the definition of the world's love. The, 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 you know, people talk about love. When you discover love, you're going to be power. There's no love without God. That's all stuff, mushy stuff. It's not the love that we're talking about here. Here's the problem. Here's the problem that I've seen in the years, through the years. There are some who confuse people pleasing with genuine, authentic 
biblical love. People pleasers knock themselves out to please others. You see it in preachers. You see it in, 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 in ministries even. You see it where they're knocking themselves out to please people. just want to make them happy. They want to, make, they want to please them. <laughs> Why? Because they want to receive their applause. Uh, they do it because they want to gain praise of people. But godly love is different because it is not emotional surface type of love. Godly love loves to serve without recognition. Godly love loves to exhort and warn. Godly love is willing to risk misunderstanding, being misunderstood. Godly love is always telling the truth, even when you know the person doesn't want to hear it. Godly love is fearless of criticism because godly love has only one source of, 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 of uh, one source of, of strength, and that's God the Holy Spirit. And when you are constantly receiving a continuous supply of love from the Lord that is poured into you, when you allow God to love through you, when you are constantly opening yourself up uh, to the pouring out of the love of the Holy Spirit in your life, you will never ask foolish questions like, are the Ten Commandments relevant for today or the only for the Old Testament? You'll never ask a foolish question like that. I'm going to show you exactly from the Word of God. Not my opinion, the Word of God. You will never ask, am I supposed to believe the Ten Commandments now that I live in the New Testament, or should I ditch them? You will never ask such questions. You really wouldn't. First of all, those who ask that question, whether the Ten Commandments are relevant or not today, they are preaching an old heresy that has been around for hundreds of years. Every now and again in every generation, you find somebody who's clever who discovered that heresy and preaches it, and everybody says, whoa, isn't that wonderful? That's smart. Good thinking. Uh, nothing new under the sun. Can I get a witness? Look at verse 10 of Romans 13. The love of God that is poured into our hearts will empower us to live, you notice I said, oh, not obey, but to live the Ten Commandments. Are you with me? Are you with me? Not perfectly, because only one kept them all perfectly. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. So the question is irrelevant to ask, can I keep the Ten Commandments? Are the Ten Commandments relevant or not? Listen to what Jeremiah said. When Jeremiah prophesied about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, when that day come, he said, I will write my commandments on their hearts. They're not just going to memorize them and make, mimic them, just like the Pharisees of old. It's going to be written on their hearts. So they want to ask those silly questions, whether I should obey them or not, because you're living them. When you love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself, you are living the Ten Commandments. I want to show you from the Word of God. When the love of God is poured into you, and you love Him with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, when you do that, you are not going to go out willy-nilly breaking the first five commandments. Are you with me? 
You're not going to do that. Then as more of his love poured into me, I love him back and I love others and my neighbor as myself. And so, what are the first five commandments? When you love God with all your heart, listen to me. (laughs) You're not going to uh, try to worship other gods, all these dead gods. You're not going to do that. You're not going to keep idols in your life and place them above the Lord Jesus Christ who redeemed you with his blood. You're not going to misuse or abuse the name of the Lord. I love the name of the Lord. I protect, I worship the name of the Lord. I proclaim the name of the Lord. As well as say, hallowed be thy name is the first sentence after our Father. You're not going to abuse or misuse. You will take a day of re- the day in which you focus on God. You're not going to dishonor the Sabbath. That that's the day of worship. And you will honor your father and mother. Of course you will. See, you're living them. But then, as God's love pours into you, He will enable you. As He fills you to overflowing, He will enable you to love even the unlovable. Listen to me. You will love even the unlovable. When the love of God is going through you, when He is loving them through you, and as a result... You're going to keep the second five commandments. You're not going to, oh, I've got to keep this one, I've got to keep that one. Now you're living it. You're not going to go around coveting people things. You're like you say, well, you know, Ten Commandments, well, uh, we don't have donkeys. We, we don't cover donkeys. Well, sure, that was a possession at the time. You covered somebody's wife or somebody's husband or somebody's possession, somebody's blessing that God gave them. I can tell you, as God my witness... I'm too old to, uh, to, to play that game. I have been in some marvelous homes around the world. And I look and I said, praise God. Isn't that wonderful? Thank God that he blessed you. Never once did I said, man, I wish I could have a house like that. Never. Or a car or anything. Because, you see, when you are living the Ten Commandments, you know, these are moot issues. Listen to me. When you love God... You will love what God loves. When you love God, you are going to want to please God. When you love God, you want what God wants. And at that point, when that is taking place, you're not going to be asking or even thinking, are the Ten Commandments relevant for today? Should we ditch the Ten Commandments now? This This is people pleasing. This is not biblical truth. Because living and loving your neighbor as yourself. You see, love fulfills all the commandments. It completes the commandments. Just like Jeremiah said, it's written on our hearts. We live them. Now, as you look in the next couple of verses, and before I start into them, I want to confess to you. Those who are close to me, my family know this. But this is something been all my life, literally from the time I'm aware of things. I've always had a sense of urgency in my life. And I, I, I cannot explain to you why. I, I cannot explain it to you. I cannot 
I mean, even now that I have come on the other side, I cannot explain it. Why is that sense of urgency? Ever since I was a boy, since I came to Christ, there's a sense of urgency in my life. I always felt that time is a precious commodity, not to be wasted and not to be squandered. In the early days, and this is a confession probably nobody knows, but that's okay. When you get old, you really don't care what people think, right? <laughs> my, my, my thinking, my private thinking, my, my, my thoughts were, and that's, at least I was trying to explain this to myself, why do I have a sense of urgency when, since I was young? Why I always, I thought maybe because I'm not going to live for very long. <laughs> I really did. I thought, well, you know, I'm going to die young. Well, now that I'm on the other side, obviously that's a foolish thought, right? I'm grateful to the Lord that I've made it so far. I really am. I'm grateful to the Lord. My thought was wrong. But that is why you will understand when I tell you, listen carefully, I understand when I tell you that I can truly identify with Romans 13, verses 11 and 12. I truly identify with these two verses. As I said, I always had this sense of urgency, and it's inexplicable. Many times, this sense of urgency has caused me to be less patient than I should have been. I know that. I'm not proud of that. That sense of urgency... In, in our wanting to conform to the character of Christ, that sense of urgency wanted me to reflect obedience to Christ. And, and sometimes I went about it in, in a hurried way, in a wrong way, but I always had been as urgent in, in, in loving and seeking the lost. That's always been a burden of my heart. I've always been an urgent in encouraging and exalting believers to live a holy life and to conform to the image of Christ. I've always been urgent in redeeming the moments and the opportunities that God has given me. The day when the late Ben Hayden walked into my office, literally said, I'm on my way and I'm coming from Chattanooga, and walked in there, and he just plunked himself on the table and he said, God told me to give you my television ministry. My wife and I have been talking for years. I'll never be on television. <laughs> this redhead over here, actually, let me tell you what she said. You'll be on television over my dead body. <laughs> and when I said this to Ben, he said, well, that's your problem. Goodbye. And he laughed. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't about being television. It's an opportunity. That's the opportunity God provided. And I wanted to know if God is in it, I want to obey it. Sadly, we live in a time when Christians have lost this sense of urgency. Now, the word time here, redeeming the time, is not talking about chronological time. That's not what the word means. The word means a period of time. Your time, your time, your time, your time, your time, your time, my time. This period of time in which we live, these opportunities that God presents to us that are so uniquely to each individual. That's what the word time here means. Each of us, beloved, listen to me, each of us must understand our time 
and redeem the time and redeem the opportunities that God presents to us in this time. Each of us must comprehend the uniqueness for the, of the time and the opportunities in our lives that God presents us with. Each of us must seize the uniqueness of the time and the opportunities that He presents you. Whether you agree with me or not, do you understand? Oh, come on now. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're free to disagree, but I, do you understand me? Each of us, I was thinking of the words in the Scriptures. First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32. That's always a verse that sticks in, in, in my spirit. It says, the men of Essachar, that's one of the tribes, the, south, the tribes of Israel, the men of Essachar understood the times. They understood the opportunities. They understood the moment that God presents us as so uniquely for that period of time and that period of life in our lives. Sadly, the Pharisees and the religious leaders in Jesus' day they did not understand the times and the privileged times in which they lived, which they uh, seeing the Son of God with their own eyes. They did not understand the times. They did not comprehend the awesomeness of God's presence in their midst. They did not redeem the time and receive Jesus as their Messiah. They did not comprehend the times of the redemption that God has talked about in every book of the Old Testament. And they remained in their spiritual blindness. Now, beloved, 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 listen to me, listen to me. For a period of time, are you listening? Say amen. amen. Because for a period of time, God will speak to you. And I'm talking about every one of you, young or old, doesn't matter. For a period of time, God will speak to you. For a period of time, God is going to pursue you. For a period of time, God will present you with certain opportunities with your name written all over it. It's not for your neighbor. It's not for your friend. It's not for your brother or sister. It's for you. For a period of time, God will be calling upon you. For a period of time, God will open some doors just for you that no one can shut. But if you persist, here's the warning, if you persist on going in your happy, merry way, that door is going to shut. That voice is going to be so faint that you will not be able to hear it. It will be a whisper, and you're no longer hearing the voice of God. And beloved, I met so many people who said to me, I can't hear God. Because God spoke and spoke and spoke, and you chose to close your ears. Those opportunities will cease to exist. There's never been a secret to this congregation for 31 years. I've never made a secret of the fact that the cry of my heart, and it's a singular cry, is that I want to take as many people to heaven with me as I can. I want to take as many people to heaven. And then this is partly why when Ben Hayden came and said, God told me to give you one, I said, Lord, maybe this is the opportunity. It is. I never dreamed that the kingdom sat will be in 160 million homes in the Arab world. I did not know that. 
at that moment, but uh, God honored the desire. I want to take as many people to heaven with me as He allows me to. That's the longing of my heart. Hear me right, please. There are a lot of good things that need to be done, a lot of good deeds that can be done, but none more important in my life than the great commission of Jesus Christ. Well, at least two of you believe this. It is my daily cry to God to give me men and women, boys and girls, who discern the times we live in. It is the cry of my heart that God will give me men and women who are willing to redeem the times in which we live. Men and women who recognize the urgency for salvation and the opportunities for reaching the lost. Men and women who walk with me through these open doors. And one of the great opportunities James presented earlier in the piece, if some of you were not here, Faith Talks you how to share Christ and witness without being obnoxious. That's the bottom line. What a great opportunities we have in this place. Somebody wrote and said, you know, America has its clubs, has its unions, has its private groups, and people join them. But one of the lesser known is called the Procrastination Club. Have you heard of it? The requirement for membership is coming late to the meetings. Somebody is looking at the Church of the Apostles. Hello. That's okay. I will move on because conviction is coming all over the latecomers. <laughs> A recent release from the Procrastination Club indicated, once again, that the announced predictions by their members have come true, all of them, because the forecasts always come in late after the fact. <laughs> in fact, this club boasts of having 500,000 members, but being procrastinators most of them haven't joined yet. <laughs> Please don't be one of them. Please don't be one of them. You know, and I know, there are people who are forever waiting for better time. They're waiting for a clearer sign from God. They're waiting for a better day. They're waiting for more opportunity, opportune time, which never comes. Verse 11. Romans 13, it is time to wake up from the sleep. The night has almost gone and the day is at hand. The day of your meeting the Lord Jesus Christ in the cloud could be today. The clouds will be the moment you either go see Jesus or Jesus comes to meet all of us. It doesn't matter. The day is going to come sooner or later, and the more you're prepared, the better off you are. It could be today that some of you will go to heaven. 
It could be today that Jesus comes back from heaven. Either way, how should you live? And what would you say to him when you see him face to face? What are you going to say to him? Are you going to say, Lord, I just didn't get around to doing what you asked me to do. Lord, you know my intentions were good. Lord, I I got so busy with life that I didn't get around witnessing to others. Have you ever seen people who are physically fully awake, but they're really asleep? In the animal kingdom, that is normal. In fact, I'm told that horses can nap and sleep while they're standing. But I think most Christians are like the hippopotamus who sleeps as he floats in the water. Or like the bats that nap hanging by their feet. The Bible tells us spiritual drowsiness. Listen to me. I'm coming close to the end. Spiritual drowsiness will rule supreme just prior to the return of the Lord. Think about this. Think about this. Judging from what I'm seeing, and this is not just in America, beloved. This is all over the world. I'm seeing it all over there. Judging what I'm seeing, I think Jesus' return must be a really close The Bible said that the signs of spiritual sleepness are as follows. The love of many will grow cold. People won't be able to stand hearing the truth, and they will run after people who tickle their ear. You know how you do with a baby, goo, 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 and the baby smile, you know what I'm talking about? That's what they want spiritually. Goo, 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 goo. That's what they're looking for. Somebody who's going to tickle them, and they're going to laugh, and they're going to feel good. They're not going to want to hear the truth. Because the truth convicts, and they don't want to be convicted. Turning away from biblical truth will be rampant and fashionable at the end times. Getting so bogged down with world affairs, many will become spiritually numb. Here are the symptoms of spiritual sleep. Listen carefully. Living for self. Self Self-indulgence. Spiritual drunkenness with the world's wine. Little concern of what concerns the Lord. Dividing and creating doubt in believers' lives and sowing the seed of discontent. Uh, uh, Loving in words only that have no depths. uh, Paying lip service to God and presuming upon His grace. I remember hearing a young preacher from Florida saying, Send to your heart's content because grace will take care of it. How presumptuous. How presumptuous on the grace of God. Beloved, these are the deeds of darkness. These are the deeds of darkness. Remember, you belong to the day. Shake off the nighttime and the night's sleep. You belong to the light. Shake off the nightlife. You belong to watching and waiting. So open yourself up to the Holy Spirit. Do this with me. This is a sign opening up to your Holy Spirit. Come on. This is, say, I'm opening up to your Holy Spirit. Come. He will come. Don't be surprised. The time is urgent. The word put on here, says put on Christ, is like you got up this morning and you put on your clothes, dress, suit, whatever you put on. 
That's what you put on. You, and when you put on your clothes, when you go outside, wherever you go, your clothes go with you, right? I mean, I don't leave my clothes over there. They go with me. Wherever I walk, my clothes go with me. Whenever I drive, my clothes are driving with me. Whatever I am, my clothes go with me. That's what he means by putting on Christ, because Christ is with you. Wherever you go, whatever circumstance you find yourself in, whatever situation, you, whatever temptation you face, wherever you go, Christ, put on Christ. That's what he really means here. Beloved, the day is drawing near, faster and sooner than many of us think. When the clouds <laughs> will roll like a scroll, and the trumpet will sound, and the shout of the archangel, and then our Lord, beloved Jesus, will appear in person. The day is coming, and it may be nearer than we think. And then, as the song we're going to sing later today, when the roll is called up yonder, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Will you be there? Will you be there? Now, all of you are going to be there. Say amen. amen. Let me tell you this as I conclude. There was a fishing village and was renowned for serving as a lighthouse because a lot of rocks around the shore and was a safe harbor despite of the fact it's dangerous. When ships break at the, on, the, on the rocks, at nighttime particularly, the village was renowned for their rescuing spirit and, and immediately run out to rescue people. When the sirens sounded, a group of men would immediately rush out to the scene of the accident, and they, through the years they have rescued hundreds and hundreds of people. After several years of dedication and alertness, the village managed to raise some money. Yeah, money can be wonderful, but sometimes if you don't use it as a blessing, it can become a curse. After several years of dedication, they managed to raise enough money to build a rescuing station to enhance their operation. Uh, what could be more needed, right? A little time later, they sent some people to a training program, so they'll be trained on how to do it better and faster. As time went on, they added some comforts and conveniences and amenities to that building. Then they finished it with a lounge and a kitchen and a bar and sleeping quarters. Finally, it became a club where the town people came and gathered and relaxed. The alarm still sounded, but nobody responded. They were reluctant to leave their comfortable circumstances and surroundings. People would drown off the shore, but no one seemed to notice. Beloved, this is a picture of the church of Jesus Christ around the world as I see it. There are some pockets in Indonesia and the Middle East and certain parts, but, but generally speaking, this is a picture of the church. 
May God forbid that this happens to this church. Even after I go to glory, I pray God forbid that ever happen in this place. People are lost all around us, and they are going to hell. Yeah, we don't talk about hell, but the Bible talks more about hell than heaven. We're reluctant to sacrifice our comfortable surroundings, just like the village fair folks. Beloved, these are urgent days, the most urgent in my lifetime. The war is no longer politely fought behind the scenes like it used to be many years ago. Not, not anymore. Uh, the enemies is now out in the open. They've got their sword drawn, and they're ready. This is a time for us to go not into a spiritual sleep, but alertness, redeeming the time, redeeming the time. Say it with me. Say it again. Lord God, I don't presume on you, and I only pray that I've only opened your word and taught what's in your word. Anything that I said that is not of you, make your people forget it. But everything that I said that is directly from your word, let it haunt every ears, every mind, every heart, until we all shake off the sleep of the night and become awake and aware of the shortness of time. And Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand and prepare your heart for the Lord's table?